0: find yourself barely able to hold your head above water? Waves of IEPs, data collection, assessments, parent conferences, not to mention lesson plans and seasonal activities are all crashing around you. You need help, but not just from anybody. Grab the lifeline that is the Help for Special Educators podcast. We will equip you with creative solutions and teacher-tested strategies so you can navigate the rewarding but difficult job as a special ed teacher. This is Lisa Goodell, your host. Thanks so much for tuning in for Episode 2 of the Help for Special Educators podcast. I am happy to announce that the show has been accepted on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. It is also available on my website at www.isagadell.com podcast two. Stay tuned after my interview for some voice memos regarding autism. For my interview today, I have a conversation with Ashley Lutz who has been a middle school, self-contained special ed teacher for seven years, working with students with intellectual disabilities. We talk about how she didn't have any curriculum in her first year and how she creates and differentiates materials to meet the varied levels of her students. We also discuss what errorless learning is and how she implemented an adaptive music program, including an unforgettable performance. Ashley also talks about self care, and I know that must be important because she's a mother of three, including twins. I'm excited to introduce you to Ashley Lutz. Let's go to the interview now. All right. Well, Ashley, I just welcome you onto the podcast. And why don't you tell us a
1: little bit about yourself as a special ed teacher and what areas or grades that you're teaching in? My name is Ashley. I was a special education teacher in a middle school setting, grades six through eight, and I taught students with intellectual disabilities for seven years. I'm currently on a sabbatical for a year to stay home with my three kids. I had preemie twins nine months ago, so I'm home for them for the year, but I will be returning back to the classroom in the fall. That's a great life experience to be able to have.
0: And I'm sure a lot of listeners, if they haven't been in that position, they might be in that position in the future. So it's great to know there's flexibility in the world of education.
1: Yes, it's definitely been a blessing to be able to take a leave of absence from school and regroup and be able to go back um, in the future.
0: Congratulations on your little ones and your babies that are doing much better
1: now. Yes, thank you so much. They were just small at birth, and I just wanted to make sure I was home to make sure their milestones were met. Yes, I have
0: a question that I get a lot is special ed teachers needing help with determining what kind of curriculum they should use, or maybe they come into a classroom and there's very little curriculum. And so I'm just wondering if that's happened to you or what you might recommend for teachers in that situation.
1: I was put in this situation. I was hired two weeks into the school year. So the school year year had already begun when I um, entered my classroom. And I had three students at the time. And I asked my principal, you know, where's the curriculum? And he said, well, you create it. And I was a little taken back. And I guess I should have known that prior to accepting the job. So after calming down and being overwhelmed, I used their IEPs. Their individualized education plans written for them to tailor part of my teaching. I used aligned standards of learning. That is the standards that are for my state, and they have aligned versions for students to use. And I also used the unique learning system. So basically a combination of all of these things, I have learned how to create a curriculum that is tailored to my students each year. And each year it changes. My class changes, I have my students for three years. Each year I get new students and some students move on to high school. So I tailor it each year to what the actual students' preferences and the way they learn. And I try to do different topics. So I was able to plan out each month with topics and ideas to cover. And I space it out over um, a month's period of time. As I gained more experience in the classroom, I was able to, I feel, make a much better curriculum for my students. But it's really been a work in progress. But I highly recommend new teachers really look at the, the individualized education plans your county or your district gives you. And Teachers Pay Teachers is also a wonderful resource to pull some creative ideas and at least get some things going for your initial year. Thank
0: you for all those tips. Boy, you just really lined it out. Okay, so when you're using the information that you talked about, when you look at the IEPs, the Individualized Education Plans, are you looking at the students' goals and then determining what you're teaching, or how does that work?
1: To start the year off, I look at their progress report or the last nine weeks of where they were on their academic goal. I start there and I kind of assess them when they first come in. And then a lot of times in my room, I will create small groups where I kind of pair them together with a friend or a classmate that is on a similar level as they are. So I can do smaller groups to tailor and do a little bit more individualized instruction. For whole group content or subjects, I use one subject and then I create a multiple level uh, worksheets, multiple level content that they can do so- Everyone's learning about ocean animals, but some kids might be writing complete sentences about ocean animals. Some kids might be filling in the blanks. Some kids might be using a grayscale, dotting multiple choice or errorless, depending on what the activity is. But I want to make sure that all students are learning the same subjects when it comes to social studies, science, and life skills. But when it comes to math and reading, I definitely more individualize and tailor programs specifically for kids.
0: Yes, yeah, just differentiating based on what their need is. Two, can you explain just briefly what errorless learning is? Because I'm wondering if maybe not everyone knows what that is.
1: Oh, yes. So errorless learning is... There's there's no wrong to it. So I use a lot of file folder activities where I might have ten whales. We'll go with the ocean animal theme. Ten whales on the one side, and there are ten boxes on the right side. And the student will take the uh, manipulative of the whale and move it to the from the left side to the right side of the file folder. Or it could be like a big picture of an ocean. You could have ten pictures of whales and. 10 velcro dots and they just take the picture of the whale and stick it into the ocean so there's no wrong way to do errorless. it's it's a it's a good way to introduce tasks time management with students and getting them to sit and complete a task
0: yeah and then students that have moved beyond that then you can change that up would you use the same format but then have like different animals and some aren't whales or do you have an example
1: of how you would do that for someone that's a little higher Yes. So from airless, a lot of times I might go to maybe two pictures and do like whales and clownfish. We'll keep with this ocean animal theme. So they're two vastly different. I wouldn't do whales and dolphins because that's two great pictures, two similar of an animal. So I would start with that and maybe have six whales and two Clownfish. So slowly introduce maybe, you know, a small amount of different pictures and sometimes even doing hand over hand or even a grayscale where you have almost like you're matching the picture. The image is the same as the manipulative, but it's, it's just gray. It's very lightly done on the file folder or worksheet. Oh,
0: wow. Those are great examples. Thank you so much. Let's go to a different area. And I would like to know how you set up your daily or weekly schedule. You've given us some examples of the curriculum you use, but I think you mentioned at one point individualized work and whole class work. So how would you do that in the midst of a schedule?
1: So initially in the beginning of the year, I start with the bigger picture and plan out my, we do block scheduling, which is A days and B days. So we have four 90 minute blocks each day. And the students have one elective on an A day or a B day, and then they have an adapted PE or they have a physical education class as well. So there are six blocks where I am teaching academics and my principals are wonderful and let me set it up however I want. So I usually have math and reading on opposite days because I feel those are the two areas where I want to make sure we get to have them every day. So I make them on days where if we have even weather-related incidents, that block's ever shortened because it's a lunch block. Mm-hmm. So I plan monthly topics, and I break it down, my students, into groups based upon their ability. I use the unique learning system and their IEPs to determine placement, and I will put them in smaller groups, and we rotate every 30 minutes. So they will work with a para or they will work with me the groups rotate every day. There is a schedule that's up on the board for a month at a time. So the paras know who they're working with. It's it's all a rotating schedule, like a monthly little schedule. And inside they have a color-coded folder that goes with the student. And so that they know paras like I'm with yellow group today. And the students who know that they're yellow go with that para. And inside the folder, it has On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever day of the week it is, it has exactly what the student should be working on. It has the materials and it has a list of the manipulatives that you would need. So the para's responsibility in the morning is to kind of check real quick. Oh, I'm yellow group. I'm working on time. I need expo markers, this time worksheet, and a clear plastic pouch to work on this this unit. I know it sounds really confusing, but I promise it's not. It takes time initially once they have an IEP. So I tailor it all to the students and I just refill worksheets or, and I try really hard to not use worksheets, but for database, you obviously need that. So the, the paras know, okay, on this day, we're taking data on this goal. On this day, we're taking data on this goal. So that way, data is getting done. Students aren't overwhelmed with having to do multiple points in an IEP or multiple goals in an IEP in one time. So it's kind of spread out throughout the week. Now, how many students are in each group? It ranges. I prefer it to be no more than one to three. Some students just need to work by themselves. It's just what's their preference, and that's perfect. And it honestly depends on how many paras I have. Usually it's only two per group. In some years, because I have larger numbers or smaller numbers, I've set up a technology station where I'll have students work on an iPad or a computer, or they'll do independent work at a station, and then I'll have my para or I work. So it just honestly depends if the students are more willing to work socially with other kids. Sometimes a group can be up to three, but I don't like any more than three.
0: Okay. So it does sound like you're very organized in how you run everything. I like how you said that it takes a lot of prep at the beginning, but once it gets going, it probably makes your life easier the whole rest of the year. Do you have a tip or two that maybe you could share with us about organization?
1: Yes. I feel if you put a lot of hard work in initially teaching those routines and those expectations in your classroom, the first month is the most challenging and the most intense. After that, it's like a smooth running oiled machine. The kids know their routine. The paras know their routine. All the kinks and everything is worked out initially in that first month. Read a lot of teacher blogs. A lot of teachers out there have, oh, I tried this method and it, and it wasn't good. I tried this method and it really does work. So definitely reaching out and looking. Social media has been a great tool to say, oh, my goodness, that's such a great idea on how to store this. Or, oh, I love this thought on teaching this method. And a lot of teachers and other special education teachers have thoughts on their blog on how they would set things up. So I've done a lot of research using social media. But I will say from year one to year seven, I'm a totally different teacher. Year one, I did a lot of let's try this method, let's try this method. But do what feels comfortable to you. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Use things that are out there to make your life easier. I would
0: totally agree, and especially on the routines at the beginning of the year. Once I figured out that I don't have to start teaching the, the big important academics on day one or two, it made my life easier and also for my kids because what I found is that I would get them going into groups right away, but we didn't do those major academic things. We would just do kind of review things because my focus was teaching them the routine, teaching them the procedure of what's expected in moving around in groups. Once that pressure was taken off, it just helped everyone have such a better experience when we're getting used to each other and everything in the classroom. Where I've taught too, a lot of times the paras, the paraprofessionals were not with me until the first day of schools when the kids were in class. So I never had any prep time to go over things with them. Usually I'll say, hey, if you're available, do you want to come by the class or I'll buy you lunch or something? There just never is time with the paras separate. It also helps them to get comfortable with everything going on in the classroom too.
1: That is an absolutely good point. Our pairs only get two days prior, and when they're with us those two days, they have us teachers in professional development. So it's the right. same situation. Why are you here if I can't, let's learn routines, let's do this? So you're right, I have done that in the past where I've asked the pair to come in just for a quick hour. Let's just, if we've never met before, let's just get comfortable, kind of like a meet and greet real quick to know each other. So we're not meeting each other five minutes before the students get off the bus. Is there
0: anything really fun that you have been able to teach or a certain year you got to do a really fun activity that you would like to share with our listeners?
1: So I was intellectual disabilities teacher, the ID teacher as they call me, and the autism teacher in my building as well had a wonderful group of students. So we collaborated together one year and created an adaptive music program. Our students had huge interest in music. They loved to sing and dance, and we came up with this idea that we would use part of our life skills block to teach them musical skills. We used music that is normal and traditional throughout the wintertime, and we adapted it so our students could play the rhythm sticks, the hand drum, and bells, and we adapted three different songs, and we put on a musical performance for the parents, the administration, and some of their classmates that they are in general ed class with. And it was a huge success. We did it for three years, and it was so successful that we eventually did a spring concert, and we did a Disney theme, and it was marvelous. Parents cried. I cried. Mm-hmm. It was just so fun to see how much time and effort. And these kids, their dedication was was beautiful to see. They were so proud. They loved going to see their peers in chorus. And our students do go into chorus as well, but this was their own. This was their own thing. And that was just so heartwarming to watch and see. And just the parents getting to go see something that was specifically for their child. A lot of other special education teachers reached out like, where are you getting this information, this music? And I was like, well, my co-teacher and I, the autism teacher, I created it. It wasn't like we used a special book. It was We sat after school for hours like, okay, can you rhythm sick this song? Is there a beat to four? And it was just a great experience for myself and I feel for the students. We recorded it for the students um, so they could take it home as a gift for their parents for the holidays. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have videos with slides and that type
0: of thing, turn it into a movie at the end of the school year. And we show it the last day and I give out the DVDs to the kids. And every year they talk about I watched that all summer or a year or two later at parent conferences, the parents are saying they wore that thing out because they wanted to watch it every single day. It's very cool that they can see themselves. Yes, it was such it was such a wonderful experience. That's awesome. Okay, so sounds like you're very busy. I just appreciate all the time and dedication that you put into your job. You love your students, you're creating all these materials, but how are you able to take care of yourself in the midst of all of this? Because we've talked about developing curriculum, we've talked about this music program, we've talked about all the groups and organization in the classroom. And so, how are you able to take care of yourself in the midst of all this? Because we haven't even talked about IEP meetings. And all kinds of things like that.
1: Self care is definitely important. I will say, my first two years of teaching, I did a very poor job at implementing self care into my life. And it is 100% important whether you're a first year teacher or a 25th year teacher, take time for you, whether that means you have to schedule it. Like, I'm the person, I love a schedule. So I will literally schedule my self care, which I know sounds crazy. But every Saturday morning, I go have coffee with a girlfriend and I just, I'm a better person. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom because I've had two hours to step away from everything and just rejuvenate myself. I do like to get the occasional manicure and pedicure as well.
0: I think that's really smart because so much of the time we're busy caring for other people, whether it's our students or our families that, yeah, we don't take time for ourselves. And I think that's great if you schedule it in. And then if something else comes up, you say, sorry, I'm busy then want to finish up by asking if there's any online communities that you're a part of that have been really helpful for you as a
1: teacher. Instagram has been one of the biggest things that I have learned a lot from. I had a personal Instagram for a long time and I somehow came upon a lot of teachers and I saved a lot of their pictures with for ideas. It's been a really big blessing to be a part of the Instagram community and also a follower of the Instagram community. think a lot of people are motivating me to be a better teacher like that's a great idea let's try this and it just opens your whole realm pinterest is also a wonderful um, place but instagram shows you the connection of how a teacher did something and i like that piece Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's awesome so the last thing i want to ask is just how people can connect with you online
0: via a blog or instagram or i got to thinking you've talked a lot about curriculum things to do in groups do you have anything like that that you've made available where uh, teachers could get examples or try some of that in their own classroom
1: yes so my instagram facebook pinterest name is spectacular days and i also have a blog it is a complete work in progress so (laughs) just bear with me there oh no i'm the same way (laughs) spectaculardays.blogspot.com and i do also have a teachers pay teachers store also called spectacular days Can you spell that for us really
0: fast just in case somebody didn't catch it because it's a little play on words? Sure.
1: S-P-E-D-T-A-C-U-L-A-R-D-A-Y-S. Okay.
0: That is awesome. Well, is there any last thing that you want to say before we wrap up this interview?
1: No, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been such a great experience getting to think outside the box and kind of doing something out of my comfort zone. Well, you did
0: a fantastic job, and you gave us lots of ideas, things that I can use, things that um, people can use, whether they teach students with ID or whether they teach students with other disabilities. And um, I know you teach middle school, but I got ideas that I could use at the elementary level. I just really appreciate you coming on, and I wish you the best with your kids and as you navigate coming back into special education next year.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Time for voice memos. When we
0: get to hear from you.
2: This is Dawn Ellis. I'm a special education teacher in central Alabama, and my ideas for autism tips and tricks for parents during Autism Awareness Month would be three things. Knowing about early intervention, especially if you suspect a language or social delay based on not making developmental milestones the earlier students or kids receive services, research proves that the better the outcome. In addition to that, visuals are so important. Real life pictures or cartoon pictures help represent routines and expectations. These visuals serve as a cue for kids. Parents can also use a first then board that just has an expectation on one side and on the other, a reward or something that they enjoy, which would be also a positive reinforcement. So once the kid has completed the task, then they can get something they enjoy.
0: Thank you Dawn. Those tips are excellent. I would so appreciate if others listening, yes I mean you, could share some of your own ideas. Dawn shared tips to help students with autism, so I'd love some tips for other areas. What about Down syndrome? Traumatic injury? Dyslexia? The list goes on and on. I'd also love ideas on getting your students through standardized testing. Or how about starting a school coffee cart or snack bar? And also ideas on how you use the unique learning system curriculum. I hope to hear from you soon, either by sending me an email to helpforspecialeducators at gmail.com or by going to our Facebook page called Help for Special Educators Podcast. Now, when I start to get stressed or overwhelmed at school, I find it helps to take a moment to stop, slow down, and focus on my breathing to regroup for a minute. If it's before school or when kids are not in the room, sometimes I also might say the serenity prayer aloud or in my head. Here it is. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I might also add a few of my own words. Here is a sample for us special educators. Help us to listen and understand our students. Please give us words, actions, and solutions which will help in difficult situations. May our classrooms be peaceful places where teachers, staff, and students learn and thrive. After that, I try to go find someone else to help because helping others keeps me from dwelling on my own issues. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something helpful during this episode. Remember, you are amazing. What you do makes a difference, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Go out today and find someone else to encourage because they probably need to be reminded that they are amazing too.